The Dharma talk this evening um, will be a Q&A Dharma talk. We've, we've done this before here. Uh, if you have a question about your practice um, or about something that you've been um, working with in your life and you want a Dharma perspective, you're welcome to write your questions down on a piece of paper. And then at the end of the break, they'll be brought up to me and I will, um, I may not be able to get through all of them, but I'll kind of go through and, uh, weave a talk with your questions. Um, it helps if, if it's just one question per person and you don't have to come up with a question. <laughs> so there's enough people here that if you don't have one bubbling up, don't worry about it. Uh, someone will. Okay. So, a um, couple of threads. These are great. These are these are wonderful. Um, there are a couple here related to just how do you do this in this crazy life? Um, uh, one one was uh, how do you remember? You know, you're in remember your tricks um, to stay mindful. Um, and the, the, with the rushing around, and this one was how to maintain this capacity and equanimity uh, in this complicated life. How uh, to not succumb to overwhelm. I felt like those are those are pretty similar. And then these two are similar. Uh, one was how can we forgive ourselves after we harm others, and this one was when I have arguments with a loved one, I often hear judgment and blaming tones and statements and their words, are these my fears and insecurities? So relating to um, harm, disagreement, relationships, how do we bring this into the way we are connecting or not connecting with others? Um, and this one I felt feel like goes in the middle here somewhere of what shall we make of forced relations with foolish people? I like that. Say meta, question mark, avoid, question mark. It's a good question. And then lastly, one about um, ways to begin incorporating meditation into your life if you are a beginner um, or you can't find motivation. So I, I imagine maybe I'll be able to touch upon all of these um, in some way. Thank you for those of you who contributed to this. start here. It is crazy. <laughs> we talk about that a lot here. <laughs> I feel like it's been our running theme for a while. Um, it's crazy right now. I think we are um, at a point in time as a global society, but also as as practitioners, whether you consider yourself a mindfulness practitioner, a Buddhist practitioner, or a spiritual seeker, however you identify um, that brought you here, um, we are at a particular point in time where we have this set of practices to help us meet the dukkha, which is the Pali word for suffering, which is um, the foundation of the Buddhist practice, that we recognize it's crazy. And we somehow, instead of rejecting it, um, pushing it away, ignoring it, or, um, uh, you know, um, being deluded about it, um, or being sucked up into uh, thinking that you know our happiness somehow lies in something out there, um, and we get into kind of this grasping, greedy mode of just doing whatever we can to line up moments that feel good. Um, 
Instead, what we're asked to do is to be with what's really here. And when there is suffering, to really recognize it and to be with it fully uh, to the best of our capacity, which that does change from moment to moment. Um, and it can become stronger through these practices. The more we practice this, often the bigger our capacity becomes. Although sometimes we come into particular challenges. We, we are given certain circumstances where it's overwhelming in our personal lives. So we have these practices that um, aid us in this first step of actually freeing the heart and mind, which is um, coming into some level of comfort with being with what's here. And we are at a really strange time in human existence where we are um, bombarded with so much information of suffering. It's not just about our localized suffering. You know, it used to be maybe that um, we were experiencing our own lives and the suffering within our own lives and maybe the lives in our immediate community and that may have been just our family. It may have been um, uh, just the the um, the community that we lived in, um, our tribe or whatever. Um, and now we are hooked in in a in a different way, where we are experiencing the suffering of the planet, of um, communities uh, all over, and. Um, I think it's I think it's overwhelming. I'm not sure that our brains and our hearts are really made for that. It's been my question. I'm not sure our minds are actually able to do this in a balanced way. I don't know anyone who actually is that connected to all that is happening, to all the suffering that's happening and is experiencing balance all the way through. I know people who have been very wise and deliberate in what they bring in and how much they digest um, of the news, of, you know, on TV, radio, um, even like who they're having conversations with. And there seems to be a protection there. And I see them navigating this with a lot of equanimity. And these are often people, too, that have high capacity and deep, deep practice in some way, in some form. But for most of us, it's a real challenge. And so the question of how do we, how do we do this skillfully is maybe to just get in touch with the reality of, of where we are in time and how do we want to go about this. Um, not just... Um, uh, go along with what's available, you know, um, whether it's through our social media feeds, um, or, um, you know, I'm, I'm a radio, uh, and podcast nut. <laughs> and, you know, I have to check myself sometimes, like, what, is this just too much? Can I, do I need to listen to this particular broadcast for the fifth time? This week, um, is, or can I just, do I need to pull back a little bit and attend, and tend to what I'm already holding here? So I, this is a question. This isn't actually an answer, but it's a question I think that we have to hold as practitioners. This isn't me saying, blind yourself to what's going on. This is saying, what is your capacity? And how do you want to, um, Use that in your day-to-day. Where do you want to focus it? Having a focus. We're so scattered. There's so many problems. There's so many places that are in need. And there's so many places within ourselves that are in need or are needing development and cultivation because we are blinded by our privileges, um, our perceptions, um, 
belief systems. And all of this too needs our attention and needs real work. So there's so many w- places that we can, we can, um, attend to. And so finding ways to refocus and see what am, what can I do right now? Otherwise I think we get too scattered. We get overwhelmed. Does this make sense? I think there's something, um, maybe a shadow place in, um, in the Buddhist community, uh, and maybe this is in spiritual community. I don't know. But this, uh, persona maybe that we sometimes take on, this spiritual persona that we can take on, um, that has this expectation that, you know, we should be able to be okay with whatever arises. And um, I, I think that um, really what we're wanting to do is, is work with reality, with who we are, how we are in each moment, meeting each moment um, in time with um, authenticity. And there's going to be moments where you have great capacity and there's a lot you can do. And then there's going to be moments where really what's needed is to attend to whatever the intensity, uh, stress, overwhelm is within yourself. And it's okay to do that. It's not selfish. It's what then gives us the ability to then go back outward. If we're constantly attending to uh, the suffering around us and not attending to our own, um, we burn out. And we know this, you know, we know that this is true, but it can be a real habit in this practice sometimes. And then it can be the reverse, where we're always attending inwardly and we can sometimes forget that actually attending and being of service outwardly can be a real healing um, inwardly, that when we um, aren't so self-focused, that that in itself can, can be a relief when we can put our anxieties into action and actually do something um, through mindfulness, that that can be, um, there can be something very relieving and freeing about that and connecting about that. I was on a panel, um, when was that? Months ago, uh, um, it was the Buddhist conference that, that happened. We announced it a lot here. So that's probably familiar to a number of you. And some of you may have gone. And I was on a panel on, um, Buddhism and the intersection of Buddhism and global climate change. And, um, the, the person who was, um, uh, I guess hosting um, our particular panel had a comment that I thought was so clever, and I don't even think it was his. It was something he had heard um, that if um, that meditators um, uh, could use more time off the cushion, meaning um, in activism and uh, um, bringing their practice out into the world. And the activists could use more time on the cushion. <laughs> and some of us live somewhere in, in the middle there. You know, we're, we're living in both worlds. Um, and so finding this balance in this crazy world between this inter-focus and this, this outer focus. And that there's some way, um, of either titrating these two, um, realities. Um, and then maybe at some point it becomes more of a flow. Maybe it's something that um, the boundaries uh, of, of that um, inner experience and outer aren't so different, and it's, it's not so um, um, confusing somehow. So those are my initial, my initial thoughts. Um, on this uh, capacity, equanimity, and these crazy times, 
and what to do around um, just these, also just busy. This one is more about just busyness, the busyness of this um, point in time. Um, you know, that, that we're in a society that we value busy. Have you ever found yourself, someone said, well, how, how are you doing? What are you up to? Oh, I've been so busy. And we say it like it's this badge of honor. <laughs> like, I'm important. I'm doing things. <laughs> Whatever that is. You know? And then you hear them say that. Oh, they're really busy. Gosh, they've got a lot going on. I'm so impressed. And so there's this value of the busyness in, in this culture. And... um that's part of it. It's part of this craziness that we're talking about. And coming into some kind of balance. Um, you know, taking more ownership of what do we really want to value as opposed to just going along with what we think should be happening or what we should be doing. Really taking ownership of our life, getting clear about what we really deeply want. You know, it might be that we deeply want that promotion and all that it will um, bring, or we deeply want a particular relationship. Um, we deeply want, you know, that car or that thing that we think will bring us a lot of happiness. But I think if we go beyond that and we get more in touch with uh, you could call it your spiritual um, values or maybe it's more of your core values of life. What are you hoping that at the end of your life you can say, wow, I really lived that. You know, that if you have children, that you can look at them at the end of your life and say, this was the most important thing about life. And I live that. No regrets. We don't always live with that idea that, you know, this is so precious, this period of time of life. We don't know how long it will be. So what really matters? And are we in alignment with that? Or are we thinking that we'll get in alignment with, in alignment with it later? Like we have time. And we're in the meantime just kind of packing it up with stuff and things and and um, to-dos that really in the end we'll, we won't even remember. You know, at the end of this year, what will you remember about, <laughs> about what your busyness was all about? What was so important today that you're going to remember at the end of the year? Probably not a lot. So simplifying in the sense that we get more in alignment with our, with our true values. Um, taking, taking ownership of that. I think that's important in all of this. And then this capacity and equanimity, um, equanimity, seeing the larger, equanimity it's, itself is this seeing the larger picture that um, expands beyond our own selfing needs. Um, it holds time in a different way. Um, those moments where you think this is the worst thing that could ever happen, uh, this is where equanimity comes in and says, maybe not. Maybe this is a moment in time that will have a ripple effect in your life for the rest of your life. Um, but as you uh, live on and uh, uh, move on from this in some capacity, it changes. That this moment, as hard as it is, will change. And you can bring it with you how you like, but you don't have to carry it um, in a heavy way. This is where the practice really supports us, is practicing that, that these um, parts of our history that we carry, uh, things that have personally happened to us, um, 
They can, they certainly shape us. They can motivate us. They can make us cautious. They can make us more wise. But seeing it in time, that it's not something that we necessarily have to carry the burden of um, for the rest of our lives. So that there can be uh, a lightness that we offer ourselves. And that's only something we can give ourselves. It's not something that someone else is going to offer you. But we can come to understanding of that in this practice. The tenderness practice that I offered this evening, I find I've, I've been using that a lot lately. Coming into this tenderness, this tender relationship with the difficult. Finding ways that, uh, through the practice, uh, to hold what's really there, whatever the hurt is, um, meeting it, not just ignoring it or trying to fix it and make it something else, but really being with it straight on, but doing so in a way that um, is healing, that that brings in my capacity, that honors the capacity as well as honors the hurt that might be there or the struggle that might be there, that these two things come together. And that's that's really the mindfulness practice. That's how we stay present with whatever is arising. It requires a level of, of tenderness and care for our overall well-being. So utilizing that as much as you want, that was recorded tonight, and it's been recorded in the past too, and it's on Dharma Seed for free, and you can utilize that or just create, you know, work with your yourself, your own intuition of what do you need right now to stay here in this moment, to stay present with what is arising within yourself and what you're exposed to. Um, what's coming at you? How are you going to be here for it? And you have to keep um, assessing that. That's the practice. It's not like this is going to work every day, every moment. It's being in the moment and seeing how do I respond in the most kind or tender way or the most wise, compassionate way? Um, How do I attend to this moment in a way that doesn't cause more harm to myself or, or to, to others? So I hope that's helpful in relation to these two questions. With these two questions, I feel like we've, we've talked a lot about over, uh, the weeks and months, uh, maybe years, uh, here. So, um, I know I've responded to them in a lot of different ways and they're all recorded and online uh, on Dharma Seed, so you can check it out if that wasn't quite what you were looking for. I bet I've said it before, what you're looking for. <laughs> but this is uh, just the way that just seems, um, I seem to be wanting to respond to it tonight. And then this hurt, we can kind of pivot from there to um, looking at how, uh, how then do we take all of this in the way that we are in the world. You know, we do this, we do this outer, inner work. We, we work with what's coming at us from, um, outside of ourselves. But then we take all of this into speech. We take it out into action. Um, and part of this practice, and it's, it's very clear in, in the teachings in Buddhism. You know, we talk a lot about meditation and mindfulness, maybe concentration, maybe metta practice. Um, but equally as important is how you are in the world. How are you living your life? What are the actions that you are taking? Even the most small little actions, everything matters. Um, what are you doing with your speech? Are you using it to connect? Or are you using it to divide? Are you using it to feel better about yourself? Are you using it in some way that is causing harm? Is it unconscious? Are things coming out of your mouth that you are not really seeing its ripple effect? 
how it affects others. Is there some blind spot? Um, I know for myself, this is something I've been looking at really deeply um, through a lot of um, white privilege and racism trainings that I've I've been attending and um, getting more and more uh, hopefully attuned to um, just how uh, you know, I might be saying something that I think is really true in the reality of all things <laughs> and all people, um, but actually it's coming through a per- per- particular lens that is um, uh, maybe a lens of, of privilege, whether it's my whiteness or my, um, you know, upper middle class, uh, particular education, um, particular um, privilege of experiences and support, and I may not be conscious of that, that there's real delusion coming out of my mouth because I'm not um, seeing clearly in those moments. I'm not knowing what I don't know, that this this is all part of practice. This is not separate in some way. And so really attending to our blind spots. Each of us, in our own way, have our blind spots when it comes to speech and action. How are we um, interacting with each other? How are we doing that um, in our work? You know, is the work that we do, do we feel good about it at the end of the day? Um is there some way that we're engaged in our pr- particular profession that benefits us in some great way, um, but is really causing harm to others? Are we, are we clear about that? Are we seeing that fully? Or are we somehow, um, ignoring it, um, somehow justifying the harm? Is there some way in the way we consume? So it could be um, just the consumption into our own bodies, um, uh, not taking care of ourselves well, uh, consuming in a way that alters our reality and our clarity, whether that's drugs and alcohol or um, even just you know the amount of caffeine. Uh, that were that were ingesting. Um, man, I had. Uh, I'm not a big caffeine drinker, and when I when I do, I usually have a little bit. And the other day, I had a really strong, large coffee to compensate for feeling really tired and groggy, and just felt like. And it wasn't. I didn't really think it out. It was just, you know. Ooh, I'm so tired. What I need is, you know, a double shot of espresso right now. <laughs> and, you know, really innocent. And I, I, so I drank it or whatever. And I was so, I could feel it in my system the whole day. Just the amount of anxiety, the way I, I had no patience, um, for my loved ones that day. Just felt overwhelmed really easily. And I was tracking it, but, um, I really, you know, it was just the innocence of too much caffeine, but it had a, it had a ripple effect. It had an effect on how I was in the world that day. And it wasn't a great decision. And, um, you know, I could have done something, you know, worse. I could have been, uh, drinking and driving that day. You know, that has its own, uh, uh, effects. Um, but we don't always think about maybe some of these more subtle forms that our consumption take on our minds and on our bodies, our overall well-being? How is that affecting um, how we are in the world? Consumption in terms of what are we buying? What are we um, uh, uh, reading and listening to? Um, you know, do we know where our food comes from? Um, getting more in tune with how our consumption is affecting um, each other as well as the planet that this is not separate from uh, this practice in any way. This isn't separate. How we are in the world matters greatly. 
It matters not just in the way that we are affecting uh, the world with with causing harm, which, you know, I don't think anyone sets out to, hopefully, um, uh, a, a well person isn't setting out to cause harm. Um, but there's subtle ways in which we may do it. Uh, but it's also about how those effects, when we cause harm outwardly, we're never separated from that harm. It always is affecting us in some way. It affects the busyness of our mind when we sit down and we start reliving some conversation that didn't go so well or something we should have said and spoken up about but didn't. You know, so, so, um, you know, that has an effect on, on our psyche. Uh, it has an effect on our level of concentration. It has an effect on our body being able to really settle into the practice. Um, so there's there's many ways in which we cause harm um, that it's good to be conscious of. These questions were more about in relationship. So um, you know, one was about uh, being having to be in relationship. It was, what was it? Forced relationship with with uh where'd it go was what was it with ridiculous someone like ridiculous people or something like that foolish people thank you with foolish people yeah they're they're out there (laughs) we might be one of them every now and then (laughs) we're communal beings we're communal beings we don't um, get to choose all the time who we're standing next to or who we're working with or who's in our family, right? And so, yes, we, we, it's wise to surround yourself by wise people. That is true. That's, that is part of the teaching. It's wise to surround yourself with wise people to choose your friends well, um, to um, surround you yourselves, not just by people who are nice, but by with people who help you grow, to help you see your blind spots, to have um, conversations uh, that really matter, help you, you know, expand your thinking in ways that um, liberate your mind and your heart. This is Sangha. This is when we take refuge, that chant that we did, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, which way things are, or the teachings, and Sangha, which is wise community, and we'll we'll put it in that context right now. Um, And then there's, there's a lot of beings out there. We aren't separate from this. We're not so evolved that we're not stuck sometimes in greed and hatred and delusion. Recognizing our our own stuckness and uh, the places in ourselves that aren't so perfect. Recognizing um, through empathy, that that is true in others as well. It doesn't mean you have to invite them in your home. You know, be smart, be be wise about it. Um, sometimes, yeah, I guess there's times where you do have to welcome them in your home. <laughs> it depends on how close you are to them. But um, you know, if you can choose it, you know, you don't have to welcome them in your home, but you can uh, practice. Let them be. Um, fuel for your practice. How do we keep the heart coming to a place of openness? Boundaries are good, but we can still um, approach even the difficult with an open heart as opposed to that constricted place that we can easily find ourselves in with people who really just, you know, they push that particular button or we just really can't stand them for some reason. 
um, or we're fearful of them in some way. You know, this takes practice. This isn't something we just say, okay, I'm going to do that. This takes time. It takes practice. It takes the, the forgiveness practices, uh, cultivating that. Um, it takes um, a lot of these heart practices that have been mentioned, the kindness practice, compassion practice, um, even the um, the joy practice, equanimity practice. These are all the, the four traditional heart practices in Buddhism. Um, it means staying really present with yourself, your own reactions. How are you tightening? Um, Sometimes it's physically, other times that's it's um, just within your mind around certain people. Is there a way that over time that you aren't um, uh, reacting and actually causing more of this internal harm uh, when that, that type of person is near you or you're interacting with them? There's a story that I think comes from the Zen tradition of uh, uh, in a monastery there being a particular resident who was very challenging and was really messy, always saying the wrong things, um, never quite following the rules, just kind of went against all that people felt should be happening there in that particular spiritual place. And, um, and people really didn't like this person. Um, but the abbot allowed them to stay and no one really understood why. And there was a lot of resentment and, and feeling like even questioning, um, of whether the, the abbot had, um, good intentions here. And then the abbot left, um, the monastery for a period of time. Um, visiting other monasteries in different places and, and then came back. And when he came back, he realized that that particular person was gone. And it was because the other residents had kicked him out. And, uh, on hearing this, the, the abbot told them, you need to go find him and bring him back because he is the key to your ultimate awakening. I've, I've brought him here and had him stay here for your own well-being. And, you know, sometimes if we can view particular people that we're really struggling with in this way, um, that can be its own inspiration for our practice to stay close to that level of difficulty in relationship. Again, this doesn't mean you have to stay in a relationship that is harmful in some way. Like you don't have to, um, if you're dating someone and they're really cruel or they're, um, they just don't treat you well. It doesn't mean stay in that relationship so that you can be a better practitioner. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying break up with that person. <laughs> Move on. And then, um, return back to that relationship in your heart. And start that inner work from that place of you being in uh, mental and, and physical safety. Coming back, though, all of these relationships, whether they're um, long-term, short-term, momentary, um, people that we will never actually meet in person, but feel like we encounter them quite often, and they just, you know... <laughs> make us angry for one reason or another. We can work with them um, in our hearts. And so that's one place to start. The question was, um, do we use metta um, or do we, you know, get away? It's both. <laughs> it's compassion and wisdom. The wisdom to know where are the boundaries and the compassion to continue to work on your own heart and its its opening to, to suffering, your own suffering as well as the suffering of those who cause suffering. This is part of the practice.
Then maybe lastly, I'll just touch upon um, when we've caused the harm, because that was part of the question. Um, when it's us who've said something, there's three ways we can bring our practice to it. One is um, actually before we say it. When we are... are um, cultivating our mindfulness and our concentration and we are more and more bringing this off the cushion and into our lives and we start to notice, let's say, the words before they actually come out of our mouths or we catch us ourselves be- before we hit the send button. Um, that is a moment in time where the the harmfulness is actually there because it's in our mind. So it's not that it doesn't count. <laughs> I'm not saying beat yourself up about it, but just to be conscious that it's in there, that that seed is in there, even if it doesn't come out. Okay, but we can catch it then um, and reflect on it, know it, feel feel that effect within ourselves. During, let's say, okay, we said it. Um, we did hit the send button. Um, bringing consciousness to that moment, if there wasn't any ahead of time. Um, seeing, you know, how is this sitting with us? In that moment, it might feel really good and justified. That happens. Um, Staying close to that to see if it, it does, if that ends up being true over time. Um, staying really close with it when we realize we just said it and we know in that moment that was so hurtful or I went too far or I'm really going to regret this later. Um, not just knowing that, but feeling that. Like, allow that to come into your body, the feeling of that. It takes some courage to do that. But if we're really going to uproot these places that can even have that happen, you know, these places in our consciousness, um, we have to stay really close to it. We have to really know the dukkha of our speech and what the effect is internally as well as externally. How is that landing on the person we just said it to if they're in front of us? Computers have made us really separate in our language. We don't have the empathetic, um, we don't get to see the, the, the response um, on someone's face. Now, that's how we, we, we connect with people usually empathetically is, is through that seeing how it lands. What did I just say? How did that land? Did it make them really happy and joyful? And then the response that we get from that, then it makes us feel good. Or it just landed and it was devastating. It was really hurtful. And then our, our minds and our bodies get that information and we feel it intensely. When we hit send, we don't have that. There's a real disconnect there. So that in itself in this point in time is its own work really staying connected with our words when they're digital. Um, and then, of course, there's after. After we've said it, we've walked away, we've sent it, we're off to our next thing, um, really tracking some of the ripple effects of, of the harm that comes out of our mouths. And then knowing that when we, when we do cause harm, oftentimes there's... Um, it's cause and effect. There's an effect. If we want to create more connection with another being, then it matters that our words are coming from a place of wanting to connect. If our words and actions are coming from a place where it's really just about us and there is no connection there, that will be the result. You create division. And that's what you'll get. 
It's that reap what you sow kind of thing. And so it means coming back with humbleness, with care, with responsibility. Um, it means that uh, sometimes it means bearing the effects of somebody's anger, um, their frustration. Uh, sometimes it means you, that's what, that's what we have to sit with. Um, and sitting with it, not just as part of the healing process with that person, but also to really uh, have that ingrained within us that this is why I don't want to live in this way. This is why, you know, this kind of speech and this, these kind of actions really aren't in alignment with what I truly value, with, with the happiness and the ease that I wish to have in this life. This isn't in alignment with that. Getting more and more in touch with those connections makes a big difference. So I think, um, I think I'll stop there. I didn't say much about, um, incorporating meditation into your life. Well, maybe I did. Maybe there was enough in what I said that, um, that touched upon that question. And if not, you can, um, you can talk to me. But, um, I'm wondering if there's any comments or questions that come out of what I've said so far. We can, um, pass around the, the mic and we'll just take a few comments and questions. Well, you talked about people who say, okay, I will get aligned with events at some point in the future. Yeah. Yeah. How about the opposite? I mean, how about the feeling that you'll never get aligned with events? Mm. And that's, you know, that's sort of what I'm dealing with. Do you mean I'll never get aligned with, um, not events, but, um, I think what I said was aligned with the values. Values. Those values. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the, in, in, you feeling so you're feeling that you don't see that clear path of no. getting in alignment no, no, with I those don't. values in no. the future. No. Yeah. So. I totally get that. <laughs> so Yeah. I mean so. it's really then um uh it, it won't happen in, in that mind state of mm-hmm. of of future thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, cuz it's it's really more about how can you align yourself in this moment mm-hmm. and keep coming back to that in each moment that you can, mm-hmm. that you're conscious to it? How do I align myself in this moment and in this moment? How do I align myself with this particular decision I have to make right now? Mm-hmm. And that that's where it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot less overwhelming, too, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. to yeah. take it just a moment at a time yeah. than seeing it kind of this lifelong something. That's, that's, it's an illusion. It's an illusion and it's, it's not helpful. It just, it does, it overwhelms us. Anything else? Are so they're so quiet out there tonight. <laughs> oh, good. Hi, I have a question about um, forgiveness practice. Yes. Both, if I didn't think of this when I was getting up, but now I'm expanding it to not just when I'm asking for forgiveness from someone, but also if someone's offering forgiveness to me. And then two things, or the same thing happens, I find, on both ends. So I ask for forgiveness from someone. And then because of all our habits and patterns, I do it again. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you said you were, you know, and I'm thinking, I said I was sorry, and here I am doing it again. And I know it's not because I'm a bad person, but because it's a habit. And likewise, when I'm the recipient of someone saying, will you forgive me because I said this? I'm like, yeah, sure, great. And then they do it again, and I'm pissed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Even though I know they're not a bad person, yeah. it's their habit. Yeah. So how many times can you ask for forgiveness, and how many times can you accept forgiveness? Yeah. And on and on and on. Yeah. Is the, yeah. I mean, you can feel 
the cycle. Um, the symbol in Buddhism is of a wheel that just keeps going round and round. And this is called the wheel of samsara, which mm-hmm. samsara is just this, that habitual, um, uh, uh, cycle of, of dukkha, of suffering. And, um, first you have to decide that you want to get off the wheel. <laughs> and that means that you acknowledge one, your humanness, that this is a habit, and dedicating yourself to um, uh, breaking that habit, but doing it in a way that um, is in alignment with this this self-compassion, with um, this kind mindfulness. Um, because beating, you know, the self-judgment that that comes in later, um, it's okay to to say. That was not skillful, you know, and be really clear with yourself about that. But the self, self-judgment is different where it's just like, you know, it comes in with those voices of, oh, my God, you're stupid or you're a horrible person or, oh, my God, what are they going to think of me or, you know, whatever it is. Um, that just perpetuates you just hanging on to that wheel with, with that kind of thinking. It's not helpful at all. So there has to be a, a real determination to um, to not engage that kind of thinking, to catch it and, and shake your head, no, I'm not going to do that this time, the self-judgment piece. And yes, I need to go and ask for forgiveness again, <laughs> you know, with humbleness, knowing my own humanness. And then knowing that humanness as it happens to you, you know, that they just, this happened again. And seeing, you know, what are the boundaries, using your wisdom, where do the boundaries need to be? Um, and then also seeing, here is a person who's suffering, and they're, you know, they they don't know how, maybe they don't have the tools to get off that, that wheel. Um, maybe they're not even conscious to the pattern itself. Um, the forgiveness practice, there's, uh, traditionally three ways of doing it. There's, um, ask, you know, asking for forgiveness. And this could be an external practice. It could also be, it's also done internally where you go through, uh, visualization and, and kind of, um, um, in your mind, a verbal, um, experience of asking for forgiveness from someone you've caused harm. Towards, and then there's the practice of um, offering forgiveness to those who have harmed you, and then the third is offering yourself forgiveness in the ways that you've caused harm, either to yourself or to others. And all three of those, um, when forgiveness is really mature, they come together, and they all are present. So I hope that's helpful <laughs> in some way. Okay. Hi. Hi. Thank you for the talk. Um, um, just a little bit of a follow-on, maybe from his question, is uh, how do you how do you go about defining values? I feel like uh, I feel like everybody, many people have had experiences in their life when they've questioned a lot of things that they thought they knew about themselves, or things that they thought that they knew about the world, yeah. and maybe even like the total like base of that, all the fundamentals have fallen out. Yeah. So I and. This is sort of a creative act of, of creating your values and, and it arises in your mind. How do you know what to grasp onto and what to let go of? Yeah. It's a good question. You know, I think traditionally, um, within Buddhism, it's, it's, um, pretty mapped out, but I don't think that matters if it doesn't resonate, you know? Um, so it's something that, we all, I think, have to keep coming back to and attending to what, where, what do I really value? I know that, um, in terms of, you know, if the value is to be free of, of the suffering, like that, that, um, not just momentary happiness, but a lasting happiness is something that you value, then, from there, um, there's certain structures that 
become almost like sub-values to, to support that ultimate, um, um, want or need. Um, and that includes, you know, not causing harm is, is a big one. And then all the different forms that, that, that takes, um, uh, valuing um, wisdom and um, uh, is is another one that's really important. The wisdom within yourself, and then the wisdom of of others, uh, really seeking that out. Um, and it could be as simple as that, and then continuing to align uh, life in that way. I guess I'm asking about uh, trusting your own wisdom. Uh, yeah. Sort of, you know, iterating those sort of values out across your, the specifics of your life. It's hard sometimes to trust your own wisdom if you're questioning your values or questioning reality. Sure. I find that um, it, it takes time and testing. <laughs> and sometimes that testing can be done by yourself, just seeing, you know, is this really wisdom? Is it, if it's wisdom, then it's going, it's going to lead to more freedom in the mind and in the heart. Or, um, the opposite is it doesn't lead to more suffering. Um, and then sometimes it's just not that clear. Maybe we're just really deluded about it or confused. And, um, that means finding people that, that, do seem to have that wisdom um, and um, being in community of people who are who are wiser than us is always a great thing and and we we can test their wisdom too by seeing you know does it seem like they're they're suffering suffering a lot um, does it seem like they're somehow not um, um, cultivating themselves? Uh, is there some way that there's uh, a blind spot in their, their greediness or, um, or, or hatred that uh, they're unwilling to see, unwilling to, to unpack and cultivate uh, more, more um, understanding there. So there's different ways we can, we can approach it. And Ultimately, it's time, you know, over time and testing that I think we really get clear about it. And that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So we have to stop. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because we're, we are at the end of time. You had a 30 minute? Yeah, I thought maybe. <laughs> okay. So, um, thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions and for, um, the written ones and the ones that came after and just for your attentiveness this evening. Uh, we'll dedicate the merit now to to all beings. And we do this in the spirit, knowing that um, oftentimes we come here to the practice uh, for our own well-being, uh, but it's never about our own well-being. In the end, this practice, um, just as we talked about harm having a ripple effect, the wholesomeness and the goodness in our life has a ripple effect as well. And so as we cultivate our minds and our hearts in this way, it has a ripple effect that goes out and um, has an effect on our loved ones. Uh, it has an effect on the people we work with and interact with, the people in our, our communities. Um, and then I think it has an, uh, a ripple effect that goes out in ways that we can't even understand. And so it's in that spirit that we dedicate the merit to all beings everywhere including ourselves, and um, in particular, this is what um, there are those of you who wanted to dedicate this evening. Um, this one is for, uh, is it Janine? Janine, uh, may she find peace. This one is for the Amazon rainforest and all the people and animals living there.
So keeping them in our, in our hearts, uh, we can dedicate the merit to, to them and all beings. May all beings find true happiness and contentment in their lives. May all beings have safety from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.